Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Hello, welcome back. Come on in and join me for some peace, love, and baseball. Hey, the second half of the season, it's post-All-Star break, is officially underway, and we here at Peace, Love, and Baseball have made it to episode 44. 44! Okay, I gotta tell you something about 44. So it's kind of like a lucky number or an inside joke, maybe both, in my family. To be honest, I can't really tell you like the exact origin of 44. My brother Jake, Jake, if you're listening, you're going to have to come on and tell us the full origin story of 44. But what I want to tell you is that I see 44 everywhere. So I thought it might be fun to kick off episode 44 and share some connections to the number 44 that you might see around Major League Baseball. So if you're a serious baseball fan, you might already be thinking of the great Hank Aaron, one of the best and most well-known baseball players of all time. Yeah, he was number 44. You might also recall that a one Paul Goldschmidt was number 44 when he played for the Arizona Diamondbacks for years. So when he came over to the Cardinals, number 44 was being worn by a cup of coffee relief pitcher named Luke Gregerson. And, you know, like in this case, Goldie could have easily been like, hey, dude, that's my number and like, I'm going to take it. But of course he didn't. He's gracious Goldie. What a guy. So now Goldie wears number 46, simply since it was the closest number that was available to 44. Like 45 has been retired for Bob Gibson. He's like, whatever, got 46, I'll take it. Now... London Series MVP Jake Woodford proudly wears number 44 for the Cardinals. You know who else currently wears number 44? Or at least he did until a few days ago. Our old friend TJ McFarland wears 44 with the Mets organization. Other players that you might know that are currently wearing number 44 around the league include none other than Joe Musgrove, starting pitcher for the Padres, Rich Hill, for the Pirates, Rich Hill is he's currently 43 years old, actually. He will be 44 in March of 2024. So I think this means he has to come back next season. Rich, if you're listening, number 44, at 44 years old. We're asking you here on episode 44. Jordan Alvarez in Houston for the Astros. Oh, we've got Julio Rodriguez, maybe you know him, from the Mariners. And yeah, you know who? Ellie De La Cruz for the Reds. So I think we're going to be seeing plenty of 44 in the years to come. The Cardinals also love to tie at four in games. I swear. Look for it. You're going to see it now. It happened twice in as many games in the most recent series against the Nationals this past weekend. I swear it happens all the time that I see those two fours at the bottom of my screen. 
The real question is, do you think Luis Arias can get to a 444 average on the season? That's my ultimate challenge for him. Well, we're still looking for win number 44 as Cardinals fans, but look for that number 44. That is my challenge for you. I don't think you'll have to look too hard. So, you know, let me know when you start to see it everywhere. Well, today's topic is bad fan behaviors. And we've got four, that's right, four, though I'm sure we could easily give you 44 bad fan behaviors to dive into today. Y'all did share a number of good ones that are more like in-game experience specific that we can touch on quickly before we get to like the big four. Like not waiting until between innings or at least between batters to return to your seat. And you know, I agree. This is irritating, especially because at any given baseball game, there's probably, I mean, roughly half. Who knows? It obviously varies from game to game, but there's always a good amount of people that like are there really just to take in the ambiance and, you know, hang with friends or whatever. But the other half of us who are like really invested in the game and we want to be invested in every pitch we want to we don't want to miss it. We don't want to be interrupted by somebody, you know, taking their sweet time to squeeze past us or standing, you know, and waving their friends to come down with them. It's like, get out of the way. I'm trying to watch what's going to happen. And in any split second, you you know, you can miss something really exciting. Like I'm sure it just doesn't even occur to a lot of these attendees because they don't think about it the same way as being disruptive at a different kind of live event. But when you think about it, It ain't that different than like getting up in the middle of a concert or a show and the very least that you can do is like wait until the applause or something, right? And in most theater, at least professional theater, they won't, you know, even allow you to go to your seat until it's, you know, scene change or something like that in the interest of the experience for the rest of the patrons. So good call out. Kind of going along with this is there are people that get up and like stand weirdly next to you and don't just kindly and simply say like, excuse me, like, hey, we get it. We all have to get up from time to time, but just like be a human and acknowledge each other. That's great. Thanks. And many of you agreed with something that we've touched on here before, and that is banning the wave. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, I love fun. I do. I love fan engagement, but there has always been something about the wave that annoys the hell out of me. I have no interest in it. I feel like it's just a big distraction, and I have always felt that way. So I was pleasantly surprised to learn that, like, I'm not alone in this. And I agree with all of you. Ban the wave. It's over. It's done. We hate it. It is a mockery of true fan engagement. Okay, well, let's dig in here, shall we? Now, let's be clear that not all four of these are equal at all in terms of the level of bad behavior. And they are not in like any order of worst to worst by any means. Although I guess like now that I'm looking at it, like the worst, the worst one may be last. So, you know, take that for what you will. But let's talk about this one first. Okay. First on our list today is the whole calling for people to be fired. Don't care who it is, coaches, front office, 
players, the whole like DFA him thing, same thing. Now, a lot of people do this. So if you're one of them, don't cancel me just yet. Let's have a chat. I get it. I get that many people do it like even in jest and they're not actually like literally wishing anything terrible or life-changing on an individual. But the thing is, like it, it kind of seems that way. You know, I don't know. Like, okay, there's a pizza place that's super close to my house. It's so convenient. It looks like a cute place. Their menu looks good. Sounds appealing on paper. It would be great if it was good, you know, for that one time a week that we're like, I don't want to cook. Let's get some takeout. But, you know, unfortunately, it's not. The pizza is soggy the few times that we've tried it. And like the other things that we've tried haven't been great. But what can you do? Like, I won't go back. I'm not going to call the restaurant or like post on social media that they should fire their chef. First of all, maybe it's not the chef's fault. Maybe the owner won't install the kind of oven that he needs or order from the right suppliers. Like seriously, you never know. We are really obsessed as a society with pointing the finger of blame. And that's something that I've mentioned on here before that irritates me. But I get it. I get that these are very sought-after, results-oriented positions, that the turnover is often, you know, it is, it's high and it is all but part of the job to some extent. But, like, does it really make you feel better to demand for someone to lose their job? I just think it's kind of weird. Like, the massive amount of negativity Not to mention that there is no way we can possibly assume that we have even half, let alone all of the information, to know like who is truly to blame and if they need to lose their job over it. It's it's just a very tired narrative, in my opinion. It's commiserating. Like if you don't like what the people at the top of a company are doing that is contributing to the product that you are consuming like the pizza pizza place by me that I mentioned, then stop consuming it. If it's like really that bad that you think someone needs to be fired, a lot of these behaviors that we're going to talk about today come from like our detachment from humanity, I think. That we're watching this at home on the TV and we know like so many of these players and executives are making big money and there's a level of that that is certainly not relatable to the majority of us. But damn, to want someone to lose their job is just like never a good look. Never. Listen, okay, I'll be the first to tell you. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. I don't think Jim Edmonds is very good at his job as an analyst for the Cardinals. I think they could probably find some something better for him to do within the organization. I still have never said, fire Jim Edmonds. And, you know, I won't. And I, I live with mild guilt that I have tweeted a lot of negative things about him, even though it's totally warranted. And so much of what I don't like about him is how he's negative and inconsiderate. And he, he is a documented jerk outside of baseball. But I digress. <laughs> I guess this brings up a good point that I'm not saying you can't be critical And respectively share your opinion on things that like the people running the team could be doing differently. That is your opinion. You are absolutely entitled to it. 
And even though I still think there is zero way that we could possibly have enough information about like all the ins and outs to be so confidently directly critical, that is different than simply insisting that someone lose their job. It's fine and encouraged to pose questions to the organization and to other fans like, hey, why did we use this pitcher in that situation? Why might they have made that choice over the one that I think was so obvious? And this just brings up another point that I think about a lot. I don't know why it is the default reaction for some people to assume incompetence, ridiculousness, awfulness, or like whatever from a person or a group of people when they don't understand something. Like if I don't understand a choice that is being made, and this is very low key, but like for instance, we saw Tyler O'Neill tucking his pelvis under at the plate when he was rehabbing from a back injury at his first game back. From my perspective and what I know about functional movement and fitness, like as a professional, I am cringing so hard. But I don't immediately think, wow, Tyler O'Neill and his trainers must be idiots. I think, okay, what might I not be aware of in this scenario? I wonder what his logic is that is different from what I know, what I believe to be effective. Because believe it or not, I, I might not know it all. And none of us do. And we can always learn from gleaning another perspective. Like even if it turns out that what we initially thought is right. So all I'm trying to say is there are plenty of positive things that we can connect on. So find a new personality that isn't based on demanding for people to be fired in professional sports. Like even if you think that they have more money than they'll ever know what to do with. And spoiler alert, a lot of them definitely do not and might not make that much more than you especially when you look at it in the big picture. Irrelevant, but it still does not justify this bad fan behavior. I've had to fire people and even in like part-time jobs with far less stakes where it's super valid and necessary, it absolutely sucks. So I hope you never get fired, even if you've practiced this bad fan behavior. Next! I'm worried this one might be a little controversial, but it kind of aligns with what we just talked about when it comes to like blaming coaches and even front offices and so on. It's a little bit of a different angle. Second bad fan behavior is that we need to stop ignoring that professional sports teams are a business much like any other business. This is a really big conversation, and I hope we can have more debate and perspectives on it because Lord knows I am no expert. But I do feel like there are so many fans that love to just ignore the fact that these teams are businesses and like they have to be run that way. So I want to talk about this from the point of view of those who think like Steve Cohen spending over double the amount of the average payroll in Major League Baseball is quote unquote good for baseball. First off, I don't agree with that simply because of the disparity that it creates between teams and the types of players that they can have any kind of access to. Secondly, I don't agree because at the end of the day, it's completely unsustainable. And I feel like I can actually say that now because if you missed it, Steve Cohn himself mentioned this at his little press conference that he did a couple weeks ago when, you know, the Mets are playing so poorly that he has to come out and, and say something. 
So I want to come at this carefully because by no means am I taking like the pro owner approach in saying that you should accept to some degree that a baseball team is run like any other business. But the reality is that McDonald's corporate, along with many, if not most of their franchises, have made a hell of a lot of money over the years. How much of that money do you think has been put back into the product in any way, shape, or form? Do you think that McDonald's franchise owners get into owning McDonald's because they are such huge fans of fast food and they're just like really passionate about their consumers having the best fast food experience? Like, I hope you're laughing, maybe cackling even, and saying, well, of course not, Kelsey. Okay, well then, can we really be mad that if, say, Bill DeWitt himself isn't the biggest fan of Major League Baseball? Does it make Steve Cohen better at owning a team and running it as a business because he is the biggest Mets fan and he is willing to just throw money at it, even if that's not a viable or sustainable solution? Like, it might make him more popular, at least in the moment. I don't know. I'm simply pointing out that at the end of the day, it is it is a business and that it is reality that must be faced and like we can only really be so critical of it. While it's fair to say that sports teams increase in their value over time, like that is objective at this point, it is not true that sports teams are even necessarily netting a profit annually or every year. And that's how most big businesses operate. All I'm saying is that it's not just as simple as saying, well, you made all that extra ticket revenue off of Yachty and Pujols last season, so let's give it to Shohei Otani. Duh. (laughs) There are many different revenue streams, yes, and there are many, many different ways that the money has to be spent and managed. And those are constant decisions that are being made. I think it's fine to be critical and make the point like, Well, clearly the Cardinals have at least decent revenue and ticket sales, considering that their average attendance is nearly 40% higher than the average Major League Baseball team attendance year over year. So yeah, it sure would be nice to see a higher payroll, particularly with bigger investments in the glaring problem of starting pitching. Totally fine with that assessment. It's fair. It's got some good logic behind it. We're not assuming we know everything, but it is a fair and decent point to make. But if we're going to make that point, then we should also consider that the Cardinals have a much newer and more beautiful stadium and facilities than many other teams who who also charge higher ticket prices. I can't tell you what a difference in experience it is to to go to a stadium like Bush Stadium than it is to go to, say, guaranteed rate in Chicago. And that's just one example as somewhere that I have been recently. I would rather spend my money at Bush. Like, I don't care who's playing. Sign me up. To have a day at Bush Stadium is always a lovely experience. Like, they've clearly put a lot of money into making that an experience that is on a different level than a lot of other stadiums. And that's just one one of the investments that ownership has made for the fans and for the business. We have a 1 in 30 chance of winning the World Series every year. But there are 162 chances to give a memorable experience at the ballpark to fans. 
a lot of which has absolutely nothing to do with if, if the home team wins or loses. I don't know. Now that I'm talking about this, I'm like, it's the same damn thing as I was saying about like not assuming that you know everything. That's the point at the end of it all. We don't have all the information to be so distinctly critical to call for these people's heads. It's just like not a thing that's worth getting that upset over, I guess. <laughs> okay, I need to get back to my real point of discussion based around this one, which is this. I want to talk through a point of discussion that I posed on Twitter a couple weeks back, and that was this. The Athletic put out an article that was called The Boys of Bummer, and it posed the question, are the Mets, Cardinals, or Padres the most disappointing team of this season? And they didn't answer the question for you, but each of the beat, beat writers you know, shared their takes on specific angles of what is disappointing about the team. So I then pose this question to you of, is it worse to have an owner that isn't willing to invest in starting pitching or have an owner that will spare no expense but makes poor decisions and doesn't build a cohesive team? So the first one being the Cardinals, who were not willing to invest in starting pitching, and the second one being really the Mets and the Padres that you know will spare no expense but, but clearly have not made the right decisions and you know the other big thing that isn't that I didn't put in this question because I really couldn't is how it, it sets them up for the future so the actual point that I'm trying to make here is that of course this is a more convoluted than the question but let's start with your responses to this question and go from there so we had a few hundred votes on this poll and 67 percent voted that it is worse to have the Cardinals ownership who, at this point, it's fair to say, made the mistake of not changing their approach to how they invest in pitching. So that is worse than having an owner like the Mets, who has spent, again, over double the average payroll in Major League Baseball, over $200 million more, and that is not taking the luxury tax penalty into account, than a team like the Cardinals, and is likely going to end the season with like they're going to end with similar winning percentages wait to see like I could be way off on that but at this rate they have had very similar levels of success or lack thereof so this was the question that I posed and many of you elaborated and many of you said the same thing along the lines of well at least Steve Cohen is trying to win at least they tried you never fail by trying I respect the Padres and the Mets for at least trying. I know I'm focusing more like specifically on the Mets and the Cardinals here because the Mets are like the most extreme. And I could also have a full three hour conversation with a wall on the differences between like what the Mets and the Padres are doing from a business standpoint. So somebody stop me. The at least they tried take <laughs> that was the like it was that was the most common by far there were so many people that said something along those lines and it was really interesting to me cuz quite honestly like it's not what i was expecting because if that's your thought like my thought is okay so your team has a 40% chance of getting into the playoffs in the sense that 12 of the 30 teams are going to make it to the playoffs in the current setup Obviously, you increase or decrease your odds by your ability to build the best team. 
But there are many more factors than just payroll that play into those odds. I don't have enough info to back this up with like hard percentages. So roll with me here. Let's estimate that having the highest payroll will increase your odds of getting to the playoffs like another 20%. Like that's substantial. But you still got a 40% chance that you don't make the playoffs. Hell, let's get crazy. Let's say it'll increase your odds by 30%. So you have a 70% chance of making the playoffs, which, by the way, making the playoffs equals a lot more money for the team as a business. So they all want it, not for the fans, but for them. I promise you. Okay, so 70% chance that you'll make it to the playoffs, but it'll cost you. Would you rather try your 70-30 odds for one season and put yourself and your business in a position to have to make all kinds of sacrifices for years to come if that doesn't work out in your favor, and even if it does a little bit, or would you rather keep your 50-50 odds? I say that because it's not like the Cardinals aren't spending money, okay? They have Nolan Arenado, who is the ninth highest paid player in 2023, and Paul Goldschmidt, who is the 25th on the list of highest paid players this year. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that they put themselves above the 40-60 odds a whole lot, but just enough. Would you rather keep the 50-50 chance that you know, everything works out and everyone kind of plays to the best of their ability, things fire on all cylinders, there's always a chance. Or are you going to take that risk to increase your odds for one season? As I'm working through this, I'm realizing like it's more about the short term versus long term for me in terms of what I would consider a successful franchise or a business that like I would want to be a part of. I am also, personally, I'm very risk averse. And that is certainly why, you know, Steve Cohen is a billionaire and I am not. So, you know, do what you will. (laughs) I am simply sharing a different perspective. And I'm really interested to see if baseball fans will feel the same way about this in years to come as the repercussions of Steve Cohen's flop play out. That's really all I'm saying. Like, if you're comparing two businesses side to side where one spent over twice as much and got the same outcome as the other, you would hands down consider like the one that spent less to be way more successful or at least like less disappointing, right? On this poll, we had a couple other takes that I want to mention. One was from at STL Scott 319 who said, I or many other non-baseball people could win with the Mets budget. I can't stand gross incompetence. That's brutal, Scott, but I hear ya. The other two perspectives here, like I appreciate the elaboration and the thought because it gave me something to think about since I told you what my like initial gut reaction to this is. So that's why I'd like to share. So at Mike underscore Witten 22 said, you want to see the effort, but then again, DeWitt and the Cardinals have won more consistently than the Mets and the Padres. And that's what I'm saying, Mike. Like, that's the biggest angle I'm coming from in saying, like, it might be the lesser of the evils. Mike goes on to say, 
Cardinals development and evaluation is off and that's the issue. They could have spent on the starting pitching this offseason, though knowing that they needed more. Definitely, Mike, not going to disagree with you on that. And that is where our next take from Logan brings up a really good point as well. So Logan, who is at Gray T Beyond, Great Beyond, G-R-E-Y-T Beyond, he's a good follow, on Twitter, he says, uh, one acknowledges issues and tries to fix them. The other knows there's a massive problem and does nothing and hope hopes it goes away, even though he has the resources to fix it. I personally hate ignoring problems that exist because they compound over time and become immeasurable. To which I say, preach, Logan. I see where you're coming from with that take. And and that is where I say that this whole discussion is like so much more convoluted than the simple question that was posed. Because I also agree with Logan that it's tough when the problem is obvious and is seemingly ignored. So I said this on our last episode of Babes Babes, which I'll link in the show notes for you. If you missed it, we did a recap of our preseason prediction. So we go through all the teams in the division, kind of give you a rundown of what we thought would happen versus what's happening versus what might happen. But anyway, I said that I truly believe like the game got ahead of the Cardinals organization. So somehow they lost the foresight and have not been willing to evolve in their philosophies, if you will, uh, in the ways necessary to keep up with how like the pitching market and the game itself has evolved. You have to assume that that is it more than like that's more than what happened than just simply choosing to not address a glaring issue. But that being said, like it's no excuse. And it's fair to see it as ignoring a problem one way or another. So I definitely understand and respect that perspective. Thank you guys for sharing. You all did a really nice job of being respectful fans and proving that we can have a nice little discussion and debate without being assholes. So shout out. Thanks for that. Well done. No bad fans here. So yeah, okay, let's bring it back here. A sports team is a business and it's fine if you don't want to think about it that way and just enjoy being a consumer of entertainment. It is the entertainment industry more than anything, after all. But my bad fan behavior here comes back to making big assumptions based on the idea that these owners, even as billionaires or millionaires, which we know they are, that these owners need to be fans of the game rather than their primary job, which is to be the owner of a business. Good business is good for baseball. Boom. Peace, Love, and Baseball is powered by Validity, the musical project led by the talented artist Wesley McKinney. Drawing inspiration from the likes of Ben Folds, Mika, and Jukebox the Ghost, Validity delivers indie pop rock at its finest. Wesley McKinney is not just a musician, but a true artist who weaves his passions for fitness, sports, art, and all things creative into his music and lyrics. Every note he strikes resonates with authenticity and purpose, creating an exciting blend of melodies and meaningful storytelling. Mark your calendars for June 27th because Validity is about to drop a highly anticipated new song. Be sure to save the link provided in the show notes so you don't miss out on Validity's newest release. 
In the meantime, immerse yourself in inspiration with Validity's latest album, Indivisible, available for streaming on Spotify and all major music platforms. Whether you're a fan of Wesley McKinney's previous work or just discovering Validity for the first time, this album is a must listen. It encapsulates the essence of their unique sound and showcases the boundless creativity and heartfelt expression that defines validity. So don't wait another minute. Put it next up on your list right after this podcast and head over to Spotify or your preferred music platform and stream Indivisible by Validity today. Join the movement and experience the infectious melodies and captivating lyrics that will undoubtedly leave you craving more. Peace, love, and baseball await you with Validity. Okay, the last two are a little more straightforward. Our third bad fan behavior is telling other people how to be fans. You can love talking analytics or not know what they mean and still be a great fan of whatever you want to be a fan of. Sports are for you, sports are for me, and sports are for anyone who wants to consume them in any way, shape, or form. Have you ever been like listening to music that you both love with a friend or family member and they somehow like don't know any of the lyrics? Like, you know, they love this song and they've jammed out to it a hundred times as much as you have, maybe more, but somehow like they don't know a single word or maybe they've made up their own. Are you going to turn to them and say, you're not even a real fan? I mean, okay, there are plenty of people that would, you're right, but not you, listener, One of the things that I love about being a sports fan is that there are so many fun ways to be a fan. You are not any less of a fan if you do not care to understand or analyze baseball savant on your day off. You don't have to dig into the old stat cast. And if you're interacting with people who do or you're seeing posts with these stats, You don't have to be offended by them or accuse people who do enjoy using them to analyze players of ruining baseball. Live and let live, you know? This this is a broader issue here. So I'll just say this. Not everything on the internet is, is for you. Didn't you know? Different stats create different points of conversation, just like talking about how good Tyler O'Neill looks in his baseball pants creates different points of conversation as well. I really should have used like another player that's not a Cardinals player, but I'm sorry. He just looks really good in them. Sue me. So we'll keep this one short and sweet. Like be a fan however you want to be a fan and let others do the same. You do not have to pass a test to call yourself a fan. The same way that you do not have to stay a fan of a franchise if you don't like the people that they hire to run their team or you don't like the way that their owner does business. Full circle. Now, last but certainly not least, our last bad fan behavior that we're going to touch on today is tweeting unkind, derogatory, or any form of negative things at players. Not only is this bad fan behavior, it is what I would like to say is human trash behavior. Because in that case, like you're not a fan. This is the only way I'm going to tell you how to be a fan. You're not a fan. You're just a jerk. 
Like, it's bad enough to use their name to where, like, it could easily be searched and see all of the terrible takes that pathetic people are saying about you. But tagging them or, like, messaging them directly or commenting directly on something that they post, again, you're not a fan. You're a troll. This kind of internet behavior will never not baffle me in general, though I know you're like, why? It shouldn't surprise you. It's everywhere. If I was in their shoes, like I would probably take a Nolan Arenado approach and be as simply untraceable and inactive online as possible. My thought in general is that like if the interaction that we are having online is not an interaction that I would tolerate or want to be a part of in person, then I'm not going to choose to be a part of that kind of interaction. Period. The same way that I wouldn't hang out with you in person if you were saying those kinds of things. So I guess what I'm really saying here is uh, if you are blocked by Andrew Kisner on Twitter, it's, it's not bragging right. You're a troll and I would block you too. I don't even want to spend any more time talking about this because like I said, it's clearly human trash behavior and just don't do it. All right. Well, I think that about covers it for today. I know there's a lot of excitement and anticipation brewing as we approach the trade deadline. So we'll surely talk more about that in the coming weeks. And I'm also going to be co-hosting the Talking About Birds podcast this week with Nate, while his usual co-host, Ben, is traveling out of town. So if you are not already following that podcast, get on it. Going to throw it in the show notes for you. And I will see you over there on Thursday to talk about all things St. Louis Cardinals. Have a great week, y'all. And let's keep those bad fan behaviors to a minimum. Peace.